welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and much more. Subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player and don't forget to sign up to www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. back to another episode of the Big Deal. I'm Jack Hudson and joining me as always, AFL legend Warren Trudeau. Treaders, how are you, mate? Hello, how are you, mate? Yeah, good. It's been a busy week. Lot, lots going on. Um, trade period is definitely heating up and just before we've uh, started recording, Shane McAdams made his way to the D's. Yeah, well, it's all happening, isn't it? Um, th- that deal that was on offer, a future second round pick, which Adelaide eventually accepted, was a, a great deal for Adelaide because McAdams hasn't played a huge amount of footy. Um, no. And if you look at the way you know he, his career has progressed um, with Adelaide, you know he went there when they were almost bottom of the, the table in 2020. He was a mature pickup. I get all that. He could certainly take a hanger. But this is a player who played seven games last year and 15 games the year before. So he's never played more than 15 games. He's played 50 in four seasons. Most he's kicked is 25 goals, which is 2021. And, and last year counted for 12 goal four um, and played only seven matches. So in the games he played, they won two, lost seven. So it's not as if he's taken the set the world on fire. The Crows put a, clearly put a, a high price on him. Um, yeah, and he finished the, the season quite well. He sort of played round one and then not again seen until round 18. Um, and then finish the year. Yeah, we kicked four goals in his second last game. So you sit there and go for a second round pick, a future second round pick. That's an extremely generous, I think, offer from Melbourne. They clearly want him with Melsham going out with injury. Um, they see a niche for him in terms of their forward line. We'll get to Petty shortly and Van Royen. Um, so it's a bit of a changing of the guard because we, we see McDonald in and out of the team, being a Brown, in and out of the team. And these were premiership players only a couple of seasons ago. So for Adelaide, now I wondered why it took them so long to take the deal. Well, let's face it, they were still trying to jimmy open the door with Melbourne. Um, Adelaide's pursuit of Harrison Petty, who's at Melbourne. It's fair to say that's all over. Um, Melbourne have said 100% he'll be at Adelaide, uh, so he'll be at Melbourne next year. And let's face it, um, he's staying to honour a contract that's still got two years to go. He's a free agent end of 25 when his contract comes out. I suspect Adelaide will return pretty heavy next year. Mm. So as they say, if your best chance of getting a free agent is getting as a pre-free agent 12 months before they become a free agent, you normally get a better deal. Um, the way Adelaide's looking here, they may even give up a you know, a first round pick and, and maybe even more to get him. That's what they offered this year. Uh, and let's face it, you know, the, the way free agency works, even if the deal is great from Adelaide, at best it'll be a first round pick So uh, for Melbourne. So I think Melbourne will, you know, go to the draft again, you know, sort of look at what it looks like in 12 months' time uh, and maybe even try and extend his contract out before he becomes, becomes a free agent. But if you're Harrison Petty, who was in and out of the team this year, um, was a premiership defender alongside Jake Lever um, and um, and May back in defence. Uh, I think everything's looking pretty good for him, but looks like that one's all over. As we say, McAdam has moved, moved on. So it's been a bit of a different approach from the Adelaide Footy Club this trade period. Usually they're quite quiet, but they've pursued Clayton Oliver quite aggressively. Now they've pursued Harrison Petty quite aggressively. It's refreshing to see for them. 
Yeah, it is. And also, too, for the uh, the Crows, the salary caps was in a good space. We know it was in an ugly space when they were effectively bottom of the ladder, paying huge money to Sloan, huge money to Walker, and both players weren't really playing great form. Walker had a great year this year, but re-signed on a one-year deal. He's since re-signed on another one-year deal on similar money. Still good money, around about six hundred grand. Um, Sloan has taken a lot less on a one-year deal. Um, you look at Laird and all these guys have been offered long, longer-term contracts. They go big... Um, for Dawson, offered more money than Port was offered. He was always heading to Adelaide, got an extra year than Port was offering. Um, and it's been a wonderful um, uh, pickup for them. You know, drafted as a halfback flank and now as an inside midfielder and an All-Australian player and captain of their club. So he's been a huge pickup. Also, I was at Rankin on a three-year deal, gave up a first-round pick uh, to the Gold Coast to get him 12 months ago. They front-loaded that contract. I hear it was all one to $1.2 the first season an average of 850 big money for a forward pocket player but he's played wonderfully well which has been a good get so clearly they're strategic in going after south australians so that's two in a row dawson from sydney rankin from the gold coast and they also um their big what bit was trying to get petty back from melbourne who's a south australian as well and has always said that he'd love to end his time in south australia so and, and that is you know hasn't said that on the record that's that's been well known in clubland for quite some time so Oh, I like what Adelaide's trying to do. They've obviously got a lot of money where they can they can look at a bloke like Oliver, um, and they got themselves in a good position where most teams from you know footy fans would go, "Hey, who's the team most likely to come into the eight? You'd probably think it's Adelaide next year because their team their form against the best teams was immense. It's just those teams around them that they rude to miss out on finals. And on the other side of Port Road, um, a bit going on with uh, Port Adelaide with Sabra Bradagalia and Brandon Zerk Thatcher. They could both end up pre-season draft. Yeah, well, when you say pre-season draft, it could be pre-season draft, um, but you'd have to hold two picks back. Mm. Um, and you'd have to, which is probably the shaky time, because not many teams hold picks at that stage, or it might actually be done through the AFL draft, I suspect. Because I had a look at it last night. I think North Melbourne has two picks, two and three at the moment, um, and then maybe even 17. Uh, I think Hawthorne has pick four or pick five. So... Hawthorne aren't going to... They're the two teams that probably worry Port Adelaide. Um, But I just don't think North Melbourne are going to give up those picks or Hawthorne to use those picks um, on a guy like Radigalia. I think they need youth. And I still still think, as we know, that even though we're in this trade period, clubs can trade draft picks up until on the night. So um, there's still plenty to give on this one. But I don't mind Port's pursuit of this. They've got a lot of deals they need to get done. They're keen on Sweet from the Bulldogs... Um, there's talk about Soldo from Richmond, um, also Zerk Thatcher and Radicalia from um, Essendon and the Cats respectively. So a lot of deals have to get done. Ports sounds like they're losing a bit of um, – they, they've always acted in good faith and, and Essendon mm. have always sort of put ridiculously high prices. You know, they're saying they wanted a first-round pick for Zerk Thatcher, Geelong saying a first-round pick for, for Radicalia, which is ridiculous. Both are out of contract. Um, and, and, and I'd love for Port Adelaide to do what they did many years ago when Collingwood was after Nick Stevens and Port said, well, we want um, a decent compensation many years ago, back in my time, end of 2003. And they go, we want Didac in return. Nothing happened. Send him to the preseason draft. Port win the premiership the next year. And Nick Stevens, who was you know, seduced by a rival, um, ends up going to Carlton, who was the second bottom team at the time. Mm. Yeah, no, it definitely didn't end up well for him, and I'm pretty sure he later said that he regrets leaving. But there's a few other deals um, going around. Hawthorne hoping to uh, land Labior Chole and Jacob Guzitsky go to the Tigers, but 
uh, Hawthorne, they want pick 29 for Kaczynski, who hasn't exactly set the world on fire. Yeah, and I think this is where it, it sits right now. And you go, well, these are the teams holding things up. We look at what Essendon are doing, right? Like if we quickly just go back to the, they want Dersma, Zerk Thatcher, they're saying deal for deal. That's not good enough for Port, right? And I think if the Bombers threw in a first round, pick, a third round pick or a fourth round pick in that Zerk Thatcher for a Dersma deal, then that might be the make weight to get um, Radagalia and Geelong happy. Um, and so he gets to Port Adelaide. So that that's an interesting one. Um, clearly, Essendon and, and Geelong are holding up a lot. But then, as you say, um, Richmond are involved. Hawthorne are involved. Um, Mabia Chow uh, wants to get to Hawthorne. Radigalia and he are the two. Yeah, it looks like Richmond and Geelong are the two people holding that 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 weight in terms of holding everything up. Yeah, the, the Hawks were hoping, as you say, for a, a three-club swap invo- um, involving uh, Richmond, where Charles wants to get, um, sorry, his former club, um, where the big forward would land on a four-year deal with a fifth-year trigger to go to Hawthorne. And, but it appears the stumbling block, as you say, is the pick 29 for Jacob Kaczynski. It's like, on his day, absolutely he is. But, and if they did that deal, that could be on traded to the Suns for Charles. But Hawthorne also... Yeah, they're thinking if they give up pick 33 for child, then that could hurt their chances of getting a father-son, Will McCabe, who's Luke McCabe's son, former South mm-hmm. Australian and Hawthorne defender, which he's tipped to go in that first round. So there's a lot of still moving parts for this. And for me, it still is way too long. You know, when you've got a 10-day period where they effectively shut down over weekends, why can't this be crammed in between Monday this week? And I know there's a commercial aspect that, you know, mm. Trade Radio, Craig Hutchison's um, Sports Entertainment Network and the AFL get huge streaming on this. Um, and all fans, th- this is the premiership for the team that doesn't win the premiership. You know, you look yeah. at what the Swans business has done. You, they've been they've done great business. When you lose, you know, some key players to retirement like a Lance Franklin, to be able to come back into the market and clean up, you know, look, Brody Grundy, um, Taylor Adams, Jordan and the like very, very quickly. Um, this is the bit that, that, that says why it keeps going longer. But for me, there's a lot of posturing. Everyone says, oh, no, you only have time to meet the clubs. Well, that's just plain ignorance because I can tell you speed dating happens throughout the year. What are you guys looking at? You know, the clubs are meeting every single manager of every uncontracted player or managers that their players, uh, that they hold on their list. Um, to ask the question, who's available? Who, who could be moving? Who, who are the pre-free agents coming up in the next two years? And who's likely to leave or not? They have all that information at hand. They know their salary cap positions where it is. And it doesn't take, sometimes it takes a, an exit meeting like a Port Adelaide Xavier Dersma to say, hey, mate, look for your options to push things out into the light. But that stuff can be done a lot quicker than needs to be. And it doesn't need to be a 10 days of ridiculous deals. And let's face it, you know, who are the free agents who've really moved? None have taken the world you know, by storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Mackay to go to leave North Melbourne to go to Essen on huge money. He had a poor year in North Melbourne um, mm-hmm. from injury and also from form. So it's not like we're saying Chris Judd had a contract or Gary Ablett Jr. had a contract or Wayne Carey had a contract, is it? So no. uh, for me, it's all about, yeah, we're all interested in who our team can get. But even if you look at what Porter chasing, Porter chasing potential gun players. 
Now, Radigali is still isn't proven at the senior level. Played some great footy at times, but hasn't been consistent. Zerk Thatcher hasn't n- nailed down a spot. Xavier Dersma, who I think's got big upside, hasn't nailed down a consistent spot. So we talk about Marbio Chow and Kaczynski. None of these guys are taking the world by storm. But all of a sudden, because we talk about them so much in trade period, you know, people think they're better than what they actually are on the footy field at the moment. Yeah, the over-media hype is certainly there. Now, keeping with the AFL, the fixture situation. So it looks like we're returning for the first time in a decade to a split round to start the season. And it's basically a declaration of war on the NRL. It is a declaration of war, but let's go back 12 months. We've effectively got three more weeks of football, mm. haven't we? Because yep. we've got gather round thrown in, right? An extra round of football. So that was 23 games over 24 weeks. Now, I suspect with the way this is looking, um, we're actually going to push out the season uh, an extra round, well, actually, it might actually be an extra two rounds of football um, because the first, uh, the season will start, have to start a week earlier. But if mm. you go back two weeks, uh, two years ago, then it's respectively three weeks earlier. So, um, yeah, I get what this is. The uh, This is all off the back of the NRL looking to start their season in the United States and in Las Vegas uh, with four teams playing over there. And we'll get to that detail a little bit soon. But it's effectively to say, hey, okay, while you're away, We'll come into your own territory and we'll start the season over a two-week split round where there'll be two games of those seasons will be played in New South Wales, GWS hosting Collingwood and the Swans hosting Melbourne um, on your own turf. So uh, it's an interesting time. I think it'll potentially work. My first thought is, can you get the available grounds? Well, clearly they're going to be able to get the SCG and also Giant Stadium available. And because clearly Big Bash will be over by then and Shield Cricket will be flicked off to Shield Final, will be flicked off to somewhere, uh, <laughs> uh, some second-rate track somewhere yeah. else to, to fight out the cricket season. So uh, I, I don't mind it, but it's all about the AFL's um, plan to, to imprint as much of the sporting landscape over a period of 12 months as it can physically do. And as we say, we talk about the trade period. That's exactly what this is. This is the game beyond the game. Hundred percent. Cricket World Cup though, Treaders. It's been um been a bit tough for the Aussies. They've saved their campaign by beating Sri Lanka overnight. But there's been pretty much the situation of good, the bad, and the outright bizarre across this whole tournament. Yeah, well, let's face it. Cricket's inclusion was announced in the LA Games. Yep. Um, Australia have saved their World Cup campaign, as you talked about overnight. However, play was stopped during heavy winds, forcing objects to fall from a roof. Oh. It kind of cricket stadium after flags and um, boardings and hoardings have fallen from the uh, the, sta- the stands. Um, even some journalists were scampering for safety. You know, elsewhere, good old Poms, they got beaten by Afghanistan. So, hey, um, yes. That, that was always good to cop. Um <laughs> They're left with one win from their final three matches of the tournament, leaving little room for error for the remaining six group games. So yeah, yeah, hopefully it doesn't do an Eddie Jones and the Wallabies and get uh, get pushed Ooh. out. But um, but it, it's not the worst for the Poms after players were sporting different types of fonts on the back of their shirts. So we talk about our sports business podcast. So the branding on the back, obviously the sponsors' names, players' names were in different fonts. So the, the ECB's kit supplier, which is... Is it Castori is how you yeah, say it? Say um, so. Reportedly blaming the third-party printer for their issues. Um, and so they've ordered a set, a, a fresh set from uh, India, according to the Telegraph. So these are the big issues. If you, you can't get your on-field right, you'd want to get your off-field right, and they still can't do that at the moment. 
that's some pub league indoor soccer stuff. That is, you get your different fonts. That's absurd. But like you said, the Olympics inclusion, right, so cricket's in, but there's a few other sports that are going to get wheeled out in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, the first time in 128 years that cricket's been played at the Olympic Games. Um, going to love to see what uh, the Russian team's going to look like if they put a team in or the Chinese team or all, all the countries that you wouldn't even know what a cricket bat is. Um, but new sport, it's added baseball, softball. The Americans will love that one. Um, yep. And uh, the Cubans will love that one. Don't worry about that. Um, flag football, which mm. is sort of like touch football, but with flags. Um, lacrosse sixes, so they'll be doing a lot of running and squash. Bring back Chris Dittmar, I say. Oh, Yang Khan. Yang Khan, he was one of the superstars back in the day in squash. I wouldn't know who he is now. <laughs> Neither would I. Squash is a fascinating sport. Looks like just pure anger. So I, I could never play it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, nothing like breaking a racket and, no, in, and being in a fish tank you can't get out of, oh, chasing yes. a little black ball. Good luck. <laughs> Oh, now, over in the States, we mentioned earlier about the NRL going over there, but they're making a big play to get Tom Brady as a part of the coverage. Yeah, this is this is sort of opening up new doors, and this is off the mm. back of new broadcast agreements, Hutto, as you know. So the NRL and Fox Sports poised to strike a broadcast agreement to showcase rugby league to an audience of 72.4 million homes in America. So there is a, a Fox Sports, um, uh, a Fox Rugby deal done with News Corp anyway here in Australia. But this is to say, hey, while you're in America, let's take our game elsewhere and put it on another channel. Um, and their pay TV is not as small as ours where there's about six no. sports channels. There's about 776 sports channels. Um, and Tom Brady being their big signing, and I think he got a deal something like $53 million a year for 10 years to be the analyst post-retirement yep. um, from the NFL to be an NFL analyst. So... So we could be in a situation where we're hearing Tom Brady sharing his thoughts on Reese Walsh, which would be interesting. Um, and it's probably not laughable because it actually could be on the cards with this new deal and broadcast agreement. And I think this is a big win for rugby because if you could strike this deal, then it's no different in a way to what Port Adelaide did many years ago when they played a game in China. They were broadcast onto a outlier channel uh, and radio station so people could follow it if they were interested in it. Um, and I think alone, I think by the numbers back then, it actually superseded the grand finals coverage because, yeah, you know, when China's got so many people, you're in a situation where you, you're broad. They wouldn't have known what the game is or whatever. But the fact that so many people flick channels is you're going to get those eyeballs, probably not instinct eyeballs, are worrying about who, which goal point or umpire decision is right or wrong. Um, but this is a situation where I think it's a good thing because uh, the deal was on the verge of being ratified, which will see the US pay television station, Fox Sports 1, broadcast the NRL's historic 2024 kickoff in Las Vegas, which will be on the March the 2nd. Um, and they're talking about potential audiences and reach, and this would be great for the NRL sponsors, 72.4 million homes in America. Um, so we're talking about the Broncos, the Rabbitohs, the Roosters, the Seagulls, and the four clubs headed to Vegas which will be year one of a five-year plan to do this, um, just to sort of get into the US market. So I really like this thinking. I like different thinking. Um, I I like how the NRL manage their uh, schedule around state of origin well, where some players are available or not available. I also like this situation where it's different. It challenges thinking. It's going to create um, talkability. 
exactly what we just spoke about with the AFL straight period. A lot of that is just about broadcasting in a, in a dead period of time. And if, for example, you can get a guy like Tom Brady on um, to appear and or be involved, um, you know, and, and you know, we're talking about the NFL's greatest court, quarterback of all time, seven championships, got his own um, uh, Disney uh, is showing at the moment. And I've been watching um, you know, his career highlights documentary. You know, and you talk about, you know, he, he's heading into the broadcast booth beginning of the 2024 season. As I said before, it was 10-year, $500 million deal with Fox. So that can only be great for the coverage and good on the NRL for doing that. 100%. But even, like, even American audiences, they took it like took in AFL like, while COVID was going on because it was the only thing going worldwide. So this is great by the NRL and who knows what it could do. Yeah, and Hutto also too, bear in mind too, the, the one thing America isn't in front of Australia is the betting markets. And we've yeah. had some experts, Andrew Petkass has spoken about that on this podcast um, in America where he said, well, one thing they're not great at and what has boomed it in COVID and boomed a lot of women's sports is the being able to bet on sports. So they're, they're 20 years behind Australia. Um, and that is, is a, this is a classic. They might not know the team, they, but still, people will get involved in sports and following sports and find an alignment of a team if it's something they like, whether it's their uh, Juventus and Collingwood, you know what I mean? Mm. Or, um, you know, even, you know, little bits and bit pieces of, you know, if, you know, someone's into horseback and they go Broncos, oh, yeah, well, yeah, they're their horses, I'll go for them. That, that's how some of their uh, uh, alignments actually um, get involved, but also to the fact that there is a massive um, thirst now for um, gambling in sport in America, which has never really been the case before. Hundred percent. And live golf, uh, bit going on with Cam, Cam Smith. He's missed out on a fair pocket of cash, Treaders. The money on offer, I knew was big, but there's talk he he got offered seven hundred million to sign. Jeez, that is a lot of money. But this doesn't even go with what their earnings are. And, you know, the Aussie star Cam Smith's bid to become Live Golf's individual champion and cap an extraordinary 50 million US, well, that's 80 million Aussie dollars a year. Unfortunately for him, has been thwarted on the final hurdle in Saudi Arabia. So Taylor Gooch, who'd been trailing the Queenslander in the race for effectively player of the year tournament, all right? He burst through with a final round 62 at the Royal Greens Golf and Country Club at King Abdullah Economic City on Sunday. And because he did with a 62 final round and, and, and edged out Cam Smith, he took home 18 million US dollars bonus. No so that's 29 million Aussie dollars for winning the season's points race. So Jeez. that is just unbelievable. Not only the sign-on fees were out of this world, that's some nice old finishing considering, you know, he played here in Adelaide and not long after capped his first win. But it was a situation where he'd actually had a bit of a slow start, Camp Smith, for a period of time. And all of a sudden he, he ends up just getting done by Taylor Gooch on the um on the final uh on the final um photo finish. But geez, he still comes second and you know, he's made an extraordinary amount of money this year for playing on golf and I think a lot of this golf battle is all about, you know, they talk about prestige and respect, but 
also think too the likes of Rory McIlroy might be a little jealous of the money that's been offered on Liv, and hopefully they can get that deal done between the uh, USPGA and Liv pretty pretty soon. Hundred percent. And speaking of uh, big paydays, how's this New Zealand punter? So he has miraculously selected the correct finish order for the Tab Everest from first to last and won nearly ten million bucks, and it was a free competition. Well, the Everest is this, this horse race in Sydney with a massive money. They're trying to say it's the biggest race. Well, money on offer, probably, but nothing's going to beat the Melbourne Cup because Melbourne Cup's got the history. But this punter has nailed it. And the punter correctly selected the placings, as you say, for all 12 sprinters in order for the Tab Everest Melbourne Cup, which was won by Think About It. Right, this was a free comp. So it was open to all New Zealand tab account holders, right? So this was effectively say, hey, let's put 10 million bucks up. Let's get insurance companies to back it uh, so that like even the old days of who wants to be a millionaire, every person had a premium they paid. If it didn't work out, then you pay your premium and you don't claim the insurance, which is the major prize. So what's happened is they've come up with this insurance company to back it. And then they've gone, well, what's the likelihood is the New Zealand punter, one, gets involved in the Everest, but hey, let's expose another market, a New Zealand market, which is close to home, to say, hey, let's get them involved in betting on the Everest or maybe let's just run this sort of free setup. So what they've done is they've run this free competition, opened a new, as I said, all New Zealand tab holder accounts. Mm. Um, and the odds of actually correctly uh, choosing first place through to 12th in order was one in four hundred and seventy nine million. <laughs> yeah. Four hundred, nearly four hundred and eighty million to one. All right, so it's four hundred seventy nine million. Uh, and God, I can't even. One thousand six hundred. <laughs> I'm like, this is just the likelihood, right? So as we said, it was free. But you only were limited to one entry per person. And this bloke reckons he spent five minutes going, yeah, they'll finish there. That'll go there. That'll go there. That'll go there. Um, and the insurance, um, so Tad New Zealand and, and Tame took out insurance um, for the promotion. And on the unlikely event that a punter actually did select the uh, <laughs> 1,200 uh, Everest runners in finishing order to claim the 10 million. And now we're on the hook. This is just unbelievable. You, oh, you spoke, it takes a couple of minutes to fill it out, and he's $10 million richer. I want to know how he celebrated, in all honesty. Yeah, well, he hasn't revealed that just yet. He's probably still rock, probably still locked up in the the, the <laughs> equestrian club of the strip, the strippers. <laughs> Every chance. Or he's too busy bidding at auctions um, <laughs> or lining up for his Ferrari drive days. Oh, who knows? This is just oh. unbelievable. But it doesn't always win because um, Kevin Musket, who's the manager of Yokohama, yes. F. Marinos, has um, spoken out for the first time after he was snubbed for the um, Rangers deal in Scotland. Um, the Ibrox board have made their final decision of Michael Beale's successor uh, yesterday with the Aussie going to head with Philippe Clement and he missed out. Uh, obviously, they went with the former Genk in Club Rouge and Monaco head coach. Uh, over an A-League and J-League title winning coach. Um, but, yeah, it didn't go great for uh, Musket because only days later, his side in the J-League semi-final second leg uh, lost 
to the Arawa Red Diamonds. So he's now been knocked out of the um, the cup over there in Japan. So um, I think it, it's great that he's actually in the running. Mm. And obviously, Ange Postacoglu has knocked the door down from coming from um, from Japan to go to Scotland. But I dare say that he'll, you know, if he keeps doing really, really well, then his next opportunity won't be too far away. No, he'll definitely get a job um, in Europe very soon. Kevin Musket. Now, speaking of European football, Man United, the Qatari banker Sheikh Yassim bin Hamad Al Thani has withdrawn his bid to buy Man United, which was $6 billion bucks, which has upset a lot of Red Devils fans because they're bloody sick of the Glazers. Yeah, well, this is the bit. Um, Sheikh Jassim and, and British billionaire Jim Ratcliffe. And Jim Ratcliffe is the owner of Ineos. And yep. Ineos is a, um, geez, what, what would you call it? Petrochemical company? Worldwide, they've got cycling teams. He sponsors. He sponsors Mercedes and is a part owner of Mercedes um, F1 team, and he's a mad Man United fan. I think he or he also owns Nice Soccer Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've pretty much been bidding with the Glazers for well over twelve months now. Um, yeah, they're two front runners. There are several rounds of bidding, but the the process has sort of been stalled, but is it gamesmanship or not? Because the Glazier family have effectively said, oh, no, well, not, maybe we're not going to sell. See, Sheikh Jassim, he got really just got sick of it. You know, they're talking about $5 billion was going to get the deal done. Glazier said it was worth seven, six, eight, seven. <laughs> Keep yeah. changing the price all the time. Ratcliffe has come in and pretty much said, well, hey, I'll take the whole lot or I'll buy a percentage of you. So this is the bit that's really frustrated. And the Daily Mail has now reported that Ratcliffe is set to secure a 25% stake in the club for around $1.5 which is $1.7 billion Aussie. The Glaziers have owned the English Premier League giants um, since they did a massive leverage financial takeover in 2005 for £790 million. But they saddled the club with massive debts. Now, the figures in March show that their debt has grown down to $970 million. So it keeps going up. And that's where the fans are furious because they're saying, we can't spend heaps because you guys keep leveraging the debt back onto the business. So the the bid, the bid from the Sheikh Jassim's bid was for full control of United and promised to clear the club's debts. And I think even David Beckham spoke out recently that uh, he was set to potentially be involved and go back. So, so they're saying his offer was worth about $5 billion. But the talks have broken down this week and it's understand that the uh, withdrawal stemmed from the frustrations over the valuation price that just kept changing all the time. Uh, and by contrast, Ratcliffe looks like he's reportedly willing, willing to buy that smaller stake um, uh, and, and, and and flick that away. But just, yeah, if you talk about some of the assets he owns, you know, French Club Nice, um, there's a Swiss side, uh, Lusuani, I think it is, sport, as well as leading cycling teams, Ineos Grenier's, who would go very high up in the um, Tour de France, one of the biggest teams in the world, a major sponsor of Mercedes Formula One. I think there's also ownership. And this is a challenge for United uh, fans because since the Glaziers' tenure, the Red Devils haven't won the Premier League since their former manager, Alex Ferguson, has hired now, 10-year anniversary in 2013. And the last Champions League win was in 2008. So for a club that big and that many resources at its, at its fingertips and need to be doing a lot better. Yep. And now on to another Man United legend, Cristiano Ronaldo. This is one of the more bizarre stories I've read. Uh, you might want to avoid Iran for a while, which most people probably 
should. Um, but the Iranian media is reporting that there have been several lawsuits filed against uh, Ronaldo after he hugged and kissed artist Fatima Hamimi on the cheek to thank her for a gift of two paintings. However, in Iran, this could be a punishment for adultery. Wow. In the form of touching a woman without being in a relationship. I'd be yeah. steering clear of Iran, and to be fair, with what's going on in the world at the moment, I'd be steering clear of Iran as well because uh, mm. what's going on in the Gaza on Gaza Strip is a bit mad. But that that is that's that's their laws, that's their rules. Sounds nuts. It mm. really is nuts. And I think I saw a vision of the so-called incident, which just a meet and greet, quick kiss, hello photo. But yep, yes. 99 lashes for Ronaldo, and not the uh, James Squire 150 lashes either, Treaders. <laughs> <laughs> That's good by you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> now, Super Bowl could be in London because there's been some success um, with uh, Baltimore and Tennessee playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The NFL Commissioner Roger Goodall was opening to playing a Super Bowl in London. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and this doesn't sound as ridiculous. Yeah, to move it out of America is huge because it mm. is the biggest event. It's the biggest single sporting event day on an annual basis. So mm. outside the Olympics every four years, every year. It's the biggest worldwide event. Um, and to move it to London, well, money would have to change hands. We know that whoever wins the Super Bowl rights, they bid for it. So the yep. cities and towns and counties bid on it. Um, and probably for... I still remember many years ago, Darren Bennett, the kicker for the San Diego Chargers, Australian guy. There was a game played in Sydney where um, it was not long after the Olympics that a game was played out here as an exhibition game. There's been a game in London now for probably the last 10 years. Um, I'm not sure whether it happened in the COVID years or not, Um, but that has always been massively successful. And you mentioned this one at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, 61,011 fans uh, saw Baltimore beat Tennessee, but previously they've been played at Wembley, and Wembley has ninety odd thousand fans. So, you know, if there's the interest and the money adds up, they will probably come. And I, re- I reckon it'd be really exciting for America to take their own game that's really only played in America um, on the global stage. Yeah, I think Spurs' big fancy new stadium definitely um, looked pretty good too, with all the lights and stuff and weird shit that they've got going on. Um, the NBA. $75 billion media rights they're looking for. They'll probably get it because, let's face it, they'll start their negotiation soon on their new media rights deal. Two American media companies just battled it out for the NBA rights to broadcast in the UK. Mm. NBA reportedly wants, as you say, $75 billion for the next media rights contracts, but achieve that, yeah, it's an ambitious goal. Don't worry about that. The league needs to get interested bidders willing to do whatever it takes to outspend each other. And with all of this stuff, we know that the NBA rights have generally about, you know, certain broadcasts, certain zones, rah, rah. We know the NFL rights are certain nights in certain zones. This opens up for me to the likes of the Apple, Apples of the world, you know, and and I'm not sure where the other rights, I know ESPN broadcasts um, it into Australia or on pay TV on Foxtel. I think we're not far away from an Apple-like company or Amazon-like company or a Disney-like company or Netflix-like company to effectively buy up all the streaming rights worldwide in one foul swoop. And to do that and be able to do that, you're going to have to pay probably double because 
the risk for then for that organisation, when I say the organisation, the MBA or the sporting organisation, is that you're aligned to one bidder only. So you'd want to get a premium on top of that. And I still think with what we uh, revealed on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, Apple is intent on getting all the F1 rights worldwide. And I think we'll see similar things soon with the NBA. I think it's not the worst. Imagine that, just one stop sports shop, one app. That would be incredibly fun. Keeping on basketball, Shaquille O'Neal is just going to get richer. Um, Reebok is now planning to relaunch a full basketball range by early 2025. And Shaq is back as the president of the basketball division for Reebok. And it's going to earn him a bit of money, I'd say. Yeah, he'd be making an absolute fortune. But and this is all off the back of, you know, he's been an unbelievable businessman, Shaq. He used to be a Reebok athlete, I think, by memory. I think he was also, Alan Iverson was a lifetime guy, and we'll get on to him pretty soon. But, mm. you know, you, you look at what goes on and, and how much money. I remember Shaq many years ago actually went out of his way. And if you watch his documentary, um, it's on one of the, <laughs> one of the streamers. I've watched it from somewhere. I think it might even be, <laughs> uh, God. Is it Disney? Might actually be on Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're talking about it could be a $4 billion move. Um, you know, his, his empire is believed to be worth $630 million. Um, The fact that he's going to go back and effectively be... It, it sort of strikes me as um, uh, when Kanye West did Yeezys and was, a, was an ambassador for Adidas many years ago, and obviously <laughs> that's blown up. But for him to go back as a brand person associated with Reebok, that only gives their credibility massive because how many Reebok athletes do you know now involved in basketball? There's oh, probably man. a heap, but not off the top of your mind. Well, if I said Nike, you'd go, oh, yeah, there's still the Kobe shoe going around. There's still the Jordan shoe going around. LeBron's the face of. Um, yep. uh, the Greek freak, is he with them or is he with Adidas? I don't know. And then you're like, Kyrie Irving just left Nike. Durant's still with Nike. So Nike's got the really got the the beef. On this, on this market. So I think that the positive is for him to get involved would be massive. But even Alan Iverson, you look at that, he, you know, it, it turns into, you know, his actual Reebok deal with Lifetime deal many years ago was was the reason why he's not bankrupt anymore. You know, and this is an unbelievably telling story where it's not always easy for athletes, even though they make millions and millions of dollars, Jack. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of money, despite career earnings of roughly two hundred million dollars, which one hundred and fifty five of that came from his NBA salary. Um, he was left with bugger all money. He told his estranged wife in uh, twenty twelve that he doesn't even have money for a cheeseburger during uh, the divorce proceeding, and then she handed him sixty one bucks. But it's amazing how he got to this point and how much money he spent on randomly different stuff and a uh, few uh, nights out on the town. By the looks yeah, they, they reckon. Um... Yeah, he previously spent $10,000 on clothes, same on restaurants. Uh, he had a crew of 50, 50 mates. He used to travel with him and he'd just pick up the tab. Um, that would clearly wear it out pretty quickly. Also, you know, well known to throw between 30 and 40 grand every time he went to strip clubs. So you'd hope you're working that night if you uh, if you wanted a <laughs> bit of a nice old tip. Um, uh, had an enviable car collection. How's this? There was a story back in 2011 during a traffic stop, traffic stop, that Iverson reportedly told the officer who pulled him over to take the vehicle, I've got 10 more. Um, and when you talk about what vehicle, it was a Lamborghini, uh, oh. Merci- uh, Merciago, Merciago, I think that's how you say it, 
um, which was subsequently impounded at the time. He also jokes about when his teammate Larry Hughes gave him a Bentley. That Bentley um, was worth absolutely squillions. And there was even a situation where he had a $900,000 debt to a jeweler. He used to have love the bling. That was all part of a, um, um, he couldn't pay the bill. Um, but the, the positive for, as you say, Iverson in the journey was that that lifelong Reebok deal, which was worth $800,000 US a year, as a payout set for 2030, right. a $32 million payout. So Jeez. he's not far away. Um from, you know, from his ultimate payout of $32 million and he'd get by on 800 grand a year. And that's what's kept him afloat because when he retired from the 76ers, he had little left. He'd burnt all his money, which is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, as we say, thankfully, Iverson, who now has a reported net worth of about a million dollars, is just eight years away from that $32 million trust set up, which was set up by Reebok and set up by his management at the time. Well, that's a nice feel-good story to end on. That is just yeah, no money for a cheeseburger. So, so is that a is that a is that a feel-good? I don't know. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> roller coaster like, emotions. He's had a ripping time blowing money, and his mates have all sponged off him. He's made a bucket load. He's only worth a million now, but he knows he's got thirty-two million coming. So I guess there is a positive story, isn't there? Mm, I don't know how I'd go waiting eight years for thirty-two million, but I'd be very you, impatient. You'd get by on eight hundred a year, though, Jack. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. And thank God he could shoot a basketball as good as anyone because, uh, yeah, without it, gosh, struggling been, times. Being a bit of strife. But, no, that wraps it up for another week of The Big Deal. Um, Treaders, thanks again for joining us and thanks for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and um, give us some feedback to get in touch. See thanks. you next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Big Deal. Before you go... Don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.